Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the podcast from Mayor Brownsword, where we put on our financial snorkels for a deep dive into the world of money. I'm Andrew Harrison and here with me as ever, it's Andy Mayer. Hello Andy, how are you doing? I'm very good, Andrew, overlooking the Thames in London today when I'm speaking to you, so it's brilliant. Very much out of postcode there. Um, this time around, it's uh, it's 70s revival month, as we predicted, predicted last time. We're going to be talking about inflation and what it means. According to the British Chambers of Commerce, 10% inflation is on its way, and the British economy will be grinding to a halt in 2023. I mean, Andy, you're going to walk us through what, what that means for savers, but just give us the top line, the quick summary of where we are and where we're going. I think when you look at headlines like 10%, it obviously causes concern for people. People who've got money in banks, saving or deposit accounts are looking at it losing real money. And then people are looking at household bills to see whether what they can stretch to. And then it's going to impact on obviously what people can save long term. But there's also some good news that an awful lot of people saved an awful lot of money during the COVID pandemic. So that's also fueling inflation, I think. So there are people out there who've saved an awful lot of money. So it there are some good stories as well, which Mark will go through with you during this podcast. Well, there you go. I mean, just uh, to cover what it means for funds, we have a special guest with us here. Mark Prescott is a senior portfolio manager at Morningstar Investment Management Europe. Hello, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, guys. Hi, Andy. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for having me. Before we kind of get into the detail, is the fund management system set up to deal with an inflationary uh, surge on this scale? Because we've not seen figures like this since the early 90s. I mean, I'll answer that with a yes and no. I mean, there's clearly um, instruments, funds, investments, which will actually do okay in an inflationary environment. Different asset classes, some will, some will perform poorly, some will perform pretty well. And we've actually seen a huge divergence in returns this year. I think what's interesting is the human element in the fact that how new inflate how you know how sudden this has been and how long it's been since we've had inflation so a lot of people running money in the city around the world haven't experienced inflation like this in their working careers and that in itself creates some risks i speak to fund managers all the time and you know see them sit across the table from them a lot of them are, you know, in their 30s, early 40s, and, and maybe haven't really experienced life at 10% inflation. So there is your risk. But generally, there are instruments out there that will do okay in this environment. Well, we'll talk touch on some of those themes a little bit later on. But let's start with the, the immediate threat. What can the government do about inflation? I mean, and, Andy, first up, we, we know roughly how we got here. The increase in the price of fuel and gas low unemployment leading to wage increases, Brexit trade barriers, global food prices rising. Has the government been asleep at the wheel to allow us to get to this position? I think it's very easy when you live in the UK just to blame the UK for this and say, oh, what's going on? But I was reading an article that Turkey's got inflation at 73% and you look at the uh, in European Union today have turned around and said that they're going to have to raise interest rates. You've got interest rates going up in the States twice. I think the Fed have raised it twice, interest rates twice because of inflation. So this is a global problem. It's not just UK. Are we suffering worse, better, about the same? Where are we in line with other countries? I think that I think that depends on your point of view. If you're in Turkey, I think we're doing really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it, it's certain sectors are obviously benefiting from certain areas. And I think if you're in retail in this country, you're struggling. I think if you've got, if you're living in one of the poorer areas with low income wages and your energy prices have gone up 40 percent, 
I think you're going to be really struggling. And I don't think you care what's going on in Europe. You're only concerned about your own situation. But I think there's pockets of Europe, the states, throughout the world who are all having these issues. It's just some of them are more localised than others. I did see the Daily Mail saying that the reason inflation has increased is because the Treasury were all working from home, which made me think, is there just a big stop inflation button somewhere in the Treasury? It's got to be more than that. But we do have an independent Bank of England. Is, how culpable is the Bank of England for Britain's particular problems, do you think? I think that's interesting because I think the Bank of England are under pressure to put interest rates up. But if you put interest rates up too high then they're going to have a real issue on people paying their mortgages. And I've seen mortgage rates on remortgages for people going from 1.5% up to nearly 3 And that obviously affects what people can spend in the economy. But I don't think they can just blanket raise interest rates 2 3 4% overnight because you'll have people doing what they did in Ireland back in 2008 when the credit crunch happened, giving the, the keys back because the mortgage payments it was not prof- it wasn't sort of affordable for them so i think the bank of england have got quite a tough job on their hands to try and control inflation and it's not something it's like the tanker that got stuck in the suez canal you just can't turn it around in day 1 as i mentioned wage pressure and lack of staff is part of this but real incomes have stagnated since the financial crisis in 2008 people do need you know, tangible raises in pay. Is it possible to have wage increases without inflation? I think it was the Goldman Sachs chairman that said that people have to look at wage rises and be moderate. But I think that's all well and good if you're on six figures. If you're on £18,000 a year and your energy prices are going up and your mortgage rates are going up, you need real pay rises. But I don't know how they can turn this tanker that is stuck called inflation around quickly. And there will be some real suffering, I think, over the next 18 months. And probably one of the examples I can give you is the food bank in Stratford, probably even where I live, is quite nice. They're running out of food because their donations have dropped so severely because people are starting to look in their own house to what they need rather than looking at what they need to give to a charity. So there are going to be some real issues coming ahead, I think. Yeah, that, that phrase that I remember dimly from my childhood that I thought I'd never hear again, pay restraint and wage restraint. It's just, I haven't heard it since, you know, Jim Callaghan was Prime Minister. Mark, uh, you know, we are looking at the age of the £8 pint and the £9 gallon of diesel. And beyond interest rates, what measures can, can the government take to control inflation? Unfortunately, not that much. Um, interest rates are the main mechanism for uh you know, controlling inflation. And I think therein lies the problem. If you look at what has driven inflation higher, it's it's two main things. It's, it's commodities, it's energy price, the price of fuel. And a lot of that is linked to the Ukraine-Russia war crisis. And secondly, it's, it's, you know, lockdowns in China and supply chain issues, which has caused... Um, the cost of shipping, the cost of transporting goods across the country, you know, across the ocean from China to San Francisco, etc., to rise. And those two, if you look at the underlying factors of UK inflation, those are the two biggies. Services, which is driven by wages, hasn't actually been that bad. And what, what can the bank, you know, seriously, you have to ask yourself, what can the Bank of England do if they raise interest rates 
will that actually stem the cost of the, the, the soaring costs of, of oil and natural gas, etc. So, you know, they, they can, they're pretty good at stimulating the economy. You know, we've got, they've got the quantitative easing toolbox now where they're actually buying bonds up, etc. But putting the brake on it is, it is, it is, um, the, it is interest rates. The government, you know, the, the question is the government could do something, taxation, etc. But is that likely? Probably not. Uh, is it possible we might even, you know, end up with yet more of those things? I remember from you know when I was at school and listening to Madness and the Specials, the uh, the control of the money supply, the huge Thatcherite um, thing, where it was, you know, that, that was a tool for bringing down the raging inflation at the time. I mean, in a way, the, the 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 rhetoric around that has sort of dissipated, and I think it's rate control. May you know, thinking about it, you could argue that there's some, there's some sort of control could come into pass, but they they haven't. That's not something that they've been talking about or mentioning. Really, it's just been rate rises. Um, Andy touched on it before. You know, the rate rises will eventually have an impact on the economy. It will slow the economy. The worry is that we get this sort of stagflationary pressures where the, the, the oil price keeps rising because of the external factors that I've mentioned, Ukraine, um, Russia being the, the, the most obvious. We get in this sort of downward spiral of, of, of low, you know, negative GDP growth, sort of recession with rising rates, and that's a rising inflation. And that's a, a place that the Bank of England definitely doesn't want to be, which is one of the reasons why I think they'd be quite sort of reticent and behind the curve if you're if if you're a cynic. Andy, what happens if inflation reaches these sort of eight or ten percent figures? If you're a saver, it reminds me of two thousand and eight, Andrew. I had a friend of mine who'd sold a business, had a million pound in coots, and was getting five percent interest rate. And within six months, he was down to zero point five. What happens is people have to look at alternatives to cash. They're going to have to look at ways of losing less money. Because if inflation is 10%, even if you get 5% in a prudential bond, if you get it in a real return fund, you're still losing against inflation. And I think people need to look at the best options they can get in this market for getting the best returns with the risk that they can take. And it will lead people, like it did in 2008, to look at different instruments that they previously hadn't looked at. So what exactly should they be doing with this, uh, with these, these nest eggs? I think you've got to look at alternatives. They should take advice, whether it's from me, another financial advisor, but you need to see what is the best options with your risk profile to get you the best return in what is extremely difficult circumstances. But there are some really good pockets of opportunity that have emerged, which I think Mark will talk about. And I think it's sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone and not leave money in a deposit-based account that isn't even going to get close to inflation, that's going to lose an awful lot in real terms. Before we started recording, you mentioned that uh, there are things that people can do with their savings over over the longer term, including in- increasing your, your pension by the retail price in- index rather than you know, taking other measures. You can tell us a bit more about that. I think what the real risk is for people who are saving towards retirement or saving towards a goal, and they've been putting £300 a month in, normally you'd say to them, look, inflation's 2%, you need to put it up by 5 £6 a month. You're now saying to people, you need to get it up by 8 10%. And that, because otherwise the purchasing power that fund managers have is less, because in real terms, whether inflation is 7% today or 8%, people need to keep the 
their investment element in real pound shillings and pence amounts. So if you're paying £300 a month, you really need to be looking at 320 to 330 at the moment to keep it real from where it was in November last year. Have you noticed people changing their saving patterns of their own volition? I think we've got two camps here. Some people are starting to reduce what they can pay in through various factors, such as if you're running a business and it's affected or you're running a business and your energy prices are running away with you. And other people who've saved an awful lot of savings over the last couple of years are increasing their savings quite dramatically because, again, with market volatility, you want to be buying at times when things are slightly uncertain. And I think we've had an awful lot of people in the last two or three weeks increasing their pensions, increasing their ISAs because they can see that what inflation is doing to it. Are there any other kind of uh, future-proofing income-generating schemes that people can take advantage of? I think there's various different tax wrappers you can look at, but I think at the moment you shouldn't deviate away from the long-term goal, which is if your goal is to retire at 62 and it's to retire on a certain amount, you stick to it, you stick to the journey. Too many people, when Daily Mail has a headline, follow it, and it leads them to make terrible decisions. And I think one of the things is that if you're going to invest for the long term, this is a blip. And I think too many headlines on papers in this country make people make bad decisions because they make them look at the short term. And this is a long-term journey. If we look at 2020 and 2021 during the pandemic, the funds made money in a pandemic. And yet some people made very good money because they put more money in when the markets were on the bottom between March and sort of July. So I think we have to sort of look at the long term and not just always focus on the next week especially when you're trying to save for a long-term plan. Mark, uh, a lot of listeners will have funds with you via, via Andy. Um, what are funds like Morningstar doing to kind of prepare and make themselves more resilient for uh, an inflationary shock? For us, it's you know, very much a research-based product. So history doesn't, we always say history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes in, in, in the investment world. So we've just been looking back at history and looking at, previous inflation so we built some tools and we've you know um, done a lot of data studies on what asset classes have historically done well when inflation has been above average so you know five percent plus we would see that as a you know and so we're, we're, we're having to go back quite quite a long way 70s 80s 90s but you can you can see some patterns emerging on what asset classes are doing well and what asset classes do poorly you know, and so that helps us. Then, obviously, we look at valuations. You know, our, our view is the best returns come from asset classes that are trading at discounts to what it would be a normal price and not what you would normally pay for an asset. So you can price any asset class, a bond, an equity, a, a country's country stock market, a region stock market, a sector. You can value that. And so, you know, ultimately... We're looking for cheap assets and an ideally cheap assets that do well in an inflationary environment. Is it possible to describe them for a layman like me then? You know, th these particular areas of the world, these particular types of, of asset or bond or commodity or whatever, you know, if, to, to the person in the pub, i.e. me, what would they, what would <laughs> they try. be? I mean, I'll try. <laughs> Depends how many pints you've had, but... Um, uh, Let's call it three or no two because they're they're eight pounds to go now, aren't they? Just two, two. points to the good. Okay, yeah. so I mean, 
for you know today what what are we experiencing we're experiencing like inflation driven by commodities so commodity you know miners oil companies they've actually been performing fantastically well and we have investments so one of our the best performing parts of our portfolios and have really helped us protect assets in this falling market environment have been our energy equity investments and weirdly the FTSE is not in a bad place to be you know just because of the way that the index is constructed if you think about the the city it has been a place for global mining firms and global energy firms to raise capital so our index is is rich with companies like extra you know anglo-american extrata glencore bp shell and so just buying the FTSE a cheap tracker costing you 10 basis points you can you do you you know it's actually broadly flat year to date in a, in a market where the S&P is down sort of double digits then you've got other asset classes where um they're con- you know often like um asset classes like infrastructure um this is things like um utilities um toll roads rail infrastructure why is why are they good a the the, the earnings stream is non-cyclical. We kind of need we need these utility we need these um, these uh, the services that these companies offer, to, irrespective of the market environment. And B, a lot of the contracts that they are they are run with are linked to inflation. They have embedded inflation protection within these contracts. So actually you know in for some funds 60 70 percent of the investments are are inflation linked they've been performing pretty well and then finally inflation linked bonds i mean it's very what are inflation linked bonds they're bonds where the coupon and the principal so the interest that you pay and the money you get back is linked to inflation contractually so you do you get your you get your yield plus it's plus the inflation that, that's paid over that period. So the inflation is prevailing over that period. So those are just three examples. There are other examples of, of, of investments which actually will do okay in an inflationary environment. You were sort of, I mean, to, uh, again, with my layman hat on, which is the only hat I've got, it was like, <laughs> it's sort of the implication was that you're kind of, by investing in those infrastructure things, you're almost investing early in a recovery that's going to come after this. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's very easy to be to see the doom and gloom of right now, mm. uh, and absolutely, we've got double digit inflation. Um, we've seen some very sharp utility bill rises, but I would want to point to the some positives out there from this. So, a we've touched on some asset classes can do reasonably well. B the market is cheaper and more attractive. Bond yields are higher. Equity equity valuations are lower than they were six months ago. You know, our expected return from our portfolios, looking back on our moderate portfolio at the start of the year, was say five percent. Now it's six and a half, and we just we just feel that actually this is a this isn't a bad time to average in to make some investments. Not not just from the point of view of protecting your capital from inflation, which is clearly a very big driver but you know just to 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 help grow your grow your assets pound cost averaging averaging in when markets are low is a is a very sensible thing to do 
How, how do you see this playing out in the next couple of years then? Because, uh, I mean, that, that uh, report from the British Chambers of Commerce I mentioned, uh, you know, said that the, the British economy will not grow at all in 2023. But of course, you're looking at the, the whole world. I mean, it, it, when you're planning for the involvement of inflation in your investments, how do you see this playing out in the next sort of year or two? Yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky one. And, and, you know, we are, there is a lot of nervousness out there the inflation that we've seen is 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 impacting consumers' pockets. What it hasn't done yet is is started to really materially impact corporate earnings. I.e., they haven't announced. You know, they're past their corporations are paying more for their for their goods and their services, and and also having to pay staff more. To, to retain them, just to keep up with inflation, and and but they haven't reported how that's going to look in their in terms of their margins, their earnings, their profits, and but we're starting to see some early signs. Um, companies report quarterly, semi-annually, annually, and we're starting to see some early signs. And I think there's some pain to come. Um, absolutely, that's you know, and we could see. It, it really does depend how sticky and how long the inflation picture, you know, plays out. You know, if we see double-digit inflation for another sort of 12, 12 months, then we might be in for a, 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 a tricky period. But that, to be honest, that's not our base case. Um, we do feel that a lot of, you know, we're seeing signs that inflation is peaking in the U.S. and the U.S. is a is a is a good is a good and leading indicator as any. We're also seeing signs that China is moving out of lockdown, which has been another big headwind to the global economy. So those two factors make us a little bit more positive. That said, um, we we aren't going all in, and we're you know as investors, we're just trying to in in a way um, adopting the same strategy we're advising for a for a person's savings. We're just slowly incrementally adding risk to our portfolios you know we can get now seven and a half percent yield on a high yield bond so this is um lower rated debt um from a company like virgin media not that you know without naming names or netflix you know these are well-known firms but they have a lot of debt on their balance sheets and are rated as a, 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 as high yield but we can get the six seven eight percent yields from that that helps you in a 10 percent inflation environment so we we've just been nudging into those yields okay well just to mean to conclude uh, i want to ask the both of you uh, as a, just thinking purely as a saver, say, purely as a, a kind of individual investor, what is the best mindset for the, the next couple of rocky years that we've got coming ahead? I think from my point of view, it's don't look at the short term. I think if you look at the short term, and I can relate it back to football, after six games of last season, Celtic were losing three. The fans were calling for the post glues head. And yet at the end of the season, they'd won the league with great football. I think if you look at that as savings, you can make really bad short-term decisions because you read a headline from the Daily Mail and you forget the long-term approach to what you're saving for. And that's what, I, that's what I would conclude. There's some real opportunities, as Mark has said. And I think if you keep to your long-term strategy, there's always going to be bumps on a plane. There's always going to be a bit of turbulence. But you'll land safely rather than making snap decisions. Mark, how about you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, you know, things feel bad today, but uh, and the headlines are quite spooky and scary and doom-mongery, but actually, um, you know, we that I would try and highlight the positives. We're at full employment. Um, growth is okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fears of recession that have driven markets. You know, it's, the, 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 the sell-off has been part, has been, a lot because a lot to do with how expensive it got at the end of last year coming out of covid it, you know that we got crazy valuations of certain asset classes and a lot of the sell off has been to do with a revaluation of of, of assets and we aren't in a recession today um, e- even if and even if we move into recession a lot of that has already been discounted in markets and then the second thing I would say is, you know, think of the longer term. Absolutely, that you 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 have to be humble. You know, we're trying to be humble. We don't have the crystal ball. As you know, we're supposed to be experts. We just don't have a crystal ball on this. We don't know what's going to happen. But we, what we've done is look to asset classes that will do well in an inflation environment. Try to invest in those. Look to assets that will do well in a recession. And we have some investments in there. Spread 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 the eggs, and then sp- spread our sort of our risk. And then just think about the long term and, and be sensible. So, you know, and I think you can adopt that same strategy with your own savings and investments as how I how I run my personal accounts as well. Try and ignore the noise and, and, and just keep calm and carry on to to take a phrase from um yeah. From, from every your... single poster in the land. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So grit your teeth, uh, <laughs> hold on to your eight pound pints, and uh, maybe nurse it a little bit longer than uh, than you would ordinarily. I don't know what pint you, what pub you're drinking on. Drinking at <laughs> eight pounds. I mean, I was I was paying six pounds seventy five for a pint the other the other day, and I thought that was expensive. Eight that, pounds. That is quite I'd, have, I'd have walked to another pub. <laughs> this this is the this is the mythical London eight pound pint okay. which he <laughs> was reporting this week. And everybody, even here, even in London, where the streets, as you know, are paved with gold, uh, everybody was saying, eight quid? Are you out your mind? Because with the spoons down the road, it's £3.30. So you can find the, uh, you know, you you can find a a non-bank breaking drink in London. But I feel we're wandering off topic. So it's probably best to to wind up the podcast right there. So that's the end of this edition. Andy, thanks for uh, for joining me. What are you up to next? I'm in the next couple of weeks. I'm off to the Million Dollar Roundtable uh, conference in Boston. So I'm going to do a bit of research for us. I'm going to find out how much the average beer is for Boston lager there, and I'll bring it back and compare it to what I'm paying in London or Stratford for us on the next podcast, Andrew. And just on a separate note, I do want to thank Mark for joining us. Mark's one of the most respected people and one of the most insightful people I've met in my 28 years of doing this job. And when he talks, he talks so much sense and over the years when I've listened to him, what he tends to say comes right. So thanks, Mark, for joining us. No worries, Andy. That's very kind. Th- th- thank you, Mark, for coming on the podcast. What, what are you up to next? Um, personally, I'm going to be celebrating my um, my dad's 80th birthday this weekend. Ah. So going up to Aylesbury and, and hanging out with my family and, and my brother's family and my, my parents. So that's that, that'll be good. Professionally, you know, trying to ignore the noise, keep calm and carry on, as I said. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah. Th- thanks for coming on the podcast. Lovely to talk to you. 
listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can follow It's Your Money on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on pretty much any podcast app you care to name. Uh, if you follow us, then the next edition will come to your phone automatically. I know Andy emails everybody to remind them, but it will just come straight in on your subscriptions. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast useful, and we will see you next time. Thank you.